Ladies and gentlemen, good evening to you all. You're all very welcome. My name is Shane Mulhall, and the title to the talk tonight is Philosophy and Realising Our Potential. And the subtitle is, Do We Want to Be the Person That We Could Be But Are Not? Now, when I look at that title and I look at you, the thought crosses my mind that in the history of the school, this is the largest single gathering of losers ever. <laughs> so, <laughs> to start, Marsilio Ficino says, It was not for small things, but for great, that God created men, who, knowing the great, are not satisfied with small things. Indeed, it was for the limitless alone that he created men who are the only beings on earth to have rediscovered their infinite nature and who are not fully satisfied by anything limited, however great that thing may be. To realize our potential, our lives must be given to the large and not to the small. The only true end for our lives is to be who we are and at the same time to become what we are capable of being. Life has defeated us if there is a difference between the reality of our lives and our potential. What we are capable of is within us and it is there all the time. If we give it our attention, it would develop in us and reveal itself to us. To waste our lives is to not give the love we have, to fail to use our powers, and to be unwilling to risk all. If we do this, we will all undoubtedly die, but few of us will really live. We do not wish to find out at the end of our lives that what we thought were the big, important things in life were actually the little and unimportant things, and the things that we thought were little and unimportant were in fact the big and important things. We do not wish our deathbed to be one filled with regret, and we will not regret if we have loved unconditionally, have served the highest ideals, and have lived life to the full. So why have we not realized our potential? And we look at a number of factors. Firstly, as children, we've all been conditioned to compete with others. We are told to be number one in our class. We are frequently compared to others. And all of this feeds the idea that the world is a place of scarce resources. And if we do not compete and win, there won't be enough to go around. And because of this, our lives are filled with fear. Fear we won't get enough. Fear that others will take what we have. And with this fear pervading our being, we come to believe that the more we help others, the more we will lose. And so we become obsessed with hoarding, with having more than we need. We perpetually try to outperform others rather than ourselves of yesterday. 
No amount is enough anymore. So we keep on striving. Our self-worth is determined by doing better than others and others acknowledging that we are achieving this. And fighting the competition all the time isolates us. And being afraid of losing results in us becoming overly cautious and wary of others. We become totally dependent on our own efforts. Creativity deserts us and tensions increase dramatically in our lives. All of this diminishes our performance. It reduces our potential rather than expands it. The second factor as to why we have not realized our potential is that we're out of touch with ourselves. The biggest problem in the world today is divorce. Not being divorced from another person, but being divorced from ourselves. We are no longer in touch with ourselves. And not in touch with ourselves, we abuse ourselves. Self-abuse is the greatest abuse in the world today. So we abuse our bodies with tensions, lack of measure and overwork. We torture our minds with excessive thinking, postponing what should be done and examining multitudinous what-if situations. We try to predict the future and control events so that they turn out to our liking. And we entertain doubts and then they plague us. With regard to our hearts, we allow negative emotions to reside there. We nurse them so that they never die, but fester inside of us. We often choose to hang on to old hurts and grievances, and these we replay in our hearts over and over again. This tires us and drains us of the energy necessary to have big lives. We can spend considerable amounts of time worrying about what people did to us a long time ago. And with each revisiting, the hurt only becomes bigger. Unresolved issues are dug up again and again, so we can experience the pain many times. It is the equivalent of paying for the same object many times over. We scheme as to how we may get even, and we imagine and sometimes carry out revenges. And as Confucius said, if you seek revenge, you better dig two graves. The law of karma works. As you sow, so shall you reap. Do good, and goodness flows into your life. Treat yourself and others badly, and life will be one of poverty in the fullest sense of the word. This might explain the words of Jesus, you are in poverty, you are poverty. When we look deep into ourselves, we often find that there are many parts of ourselves that we have denied. We may have denied what we truly love or things we have done, thoughts we have had, or feelings we harbour which we deem to be bad. This part of ourselves that we deny 
is not actually held at bay, but greatly and perhaps secretly influences how much we love ourselves and how we interact with others. Sometimes the hardest person to live with is ourselves. So we are always seeking the company of others, activity or entertainment, in order that we do not have to face ourselves. The result of all this is that we are angry with ourselves, but our anger is directed out into the world. This colors everything, and so nothing is experienced as it is. Life has broken our hearts because what we yearn for as young men and women has not come to pass. We have settled for mediocrity, abandoning our dreams, reducing the ideal to the practical. In the end, we have not cheated others, but have cheated ourselves of our destinies. We are more powerful beyond our wildest dreams. Many of us had a glimpse of this when we were young but we're afraid of the responsibility it entailed. And afraid to be ourselves, we gave up our dreams and followed the crowd. So you can ask yourself, have you grown old? Well, we have grown old if our ideas have become fixed. We have grown old if we have abandoned our ideals. We have grown old if we have lost our zest for life. So would you describe your life as full of zest? Would your children describe your lives as full of zest? Is zest what flows through your veins or is it a mixture of blood and alcohol? So have you grown old? You could have grown large, but you choose to grow old. Now, personality means mask, and many of us spend a lot of our lives hiding behind this mask. It's a social mask designed to please others. So depending on who is in front of us, we are a particular person. We wear a particular mask. And there are different masks for different people. We say and do things to agree with and please others. And we wear certain clothes and listen to certain music and adopt certain beliefs just to fit in. And in the end, our lives are being lived through other people. They're false lives. And we can be so busy surviving that we forget about living. It is said that man's greatest fear is of death. But for the inquiring man or woman, the greatest fear is of not having truly lived. As Plato said, we are saddened when a child is afraid of the dark. But the real tragedy of life is when an adult is afraid of the light. We run away from what we fear, 
but therein lies our greatest potential for growth. So life stays small. If we would face our fears, they would disappear, but in their avoidance they grow and haunt us all our lives. Fear is just a feeling, a product of imagination. It has no power to dominate other than the power we grant it. Fear is a vampire living in our hearts. With hardened hearts, everything that was simple and beautiful is now explained away as mechanical and mundane. Hear the words of a pseudoscientist who described the beautiful and characteristic pattern of shells as the shell pigments in all probability are merely outlets for the deposition of waste excretory matter. What a happy little scientist he was. <laughs> the third factor as to why we have not realized our potential is to do with the choices we have made. Life turns out according to the choices we make. And if life is dull or boring or frightening or dissatisfying, it is because of the choices we have made. Others have as little respect for us as we allow them or as much as we have for ourselves. When we are young adults, we may choose to sacrifice virtually everything for wealth, health, full participation in family life and the things we love to do. But when we are old, we would give away all our wealth for health, for the love and companionship of our family, and for the simple enjoyment of those things which naturally please us. We discover after a while that we may get the big car, the money, the acclaim, but we still have to live with ourselves. If we really look at ourselves in the mirror in the morning, are we happy with what we see? Or do we think we need a new mirror? How healthy are we on the inside? For how long have we had the same fears, the same limiting beliefs about ourselves? Do we feel incomplete? Well, no matter how many possessions we have, no matter how many we accumulate, they will never, ever, ever get rid of this feeling of incompleteness for us. The fourth factor as to why we have not realized our potential is time. Our greed for activity actually reduces the enjoyment of life. Trying to fit it all in, we miss it all. While engaged in one activity, we have already mentally and emotionally moved on to the next activity. So ask ourselves, why are we always rushing? Where are we rushing to? And are we like the dog, which if it did actually catch up with the car, 
it would not know what to do then. Life is not a long race. We are not trying to cross some finishing line. Death is what is across the finishing line and life is now. So do not rush to death. Being busy does not make us important. It simply makes us exhausted. Ordinarily, we live in an automatic, mechanical state and so we are only awake for the new and the exciting. And that which has been done before is carried out in a dreamlike state. That which we are competent in, we repeat mechanically, so there is no improvement. That which we are incompetent in, we also repeat mechanically, so we make the same mistakes over and over again. Time should be allocated according to our values, and our life cannot be authentic if our daily time is allocated disproportionately to what we truly value. If these two are not aligned, then we suffer from what is called an integrity gap. Then we are not walking our talk and our life is one of self-betrayal. If we get our values right and allocate our time accordingly, then life will be fulfilling. Otherwise, we will spend our lives doing the wrong things very badly or very well, neither of which is worth anything. We spend more time in front of the television than we do in the presence of our children. We consume enormous time thinking how the world should change, but are unwilling to invest time into changing ourselves. And at the end of our lives, getting a glimpse of what could have been, of the need to shake off our slumber, we are only able to lie down for the final sleep. How we spend our time shows us where our hearts lie. Our diary does not lie. We may say that family is most important to us, but if we spend all our time at work, then it simply is not. The fifth factor as to why we have not realized our potential is that we've stopped loving. At an early stage in our lives, we stopped loving. We stopped loving our lives. We stopped loving ourselves. And what we call love is now given only to a few, and even that is bargained with. What love we give must be returned to us in at least equal measure, or else we turn off our love tap. We set standards for people to be worthy of our love, and most people don't qualify, and are treated negatively, or with indifference, or at best merely as likable. Love is essential to living, and as Ralph Waldo Trine said, not to love 
is not to live, or it is to live a living death. The life that expresses itself in love to all is the life that is full and rich and continually expanding in beauty and power. Such is the life that becomes ever more inclusive and hence larger in its scope and influence. The larger the man or the woman, the more inclusive they are in their love and friendships. The smaller the man or woman, the more dwarfed and dwindling their natures, the more they pride themselves upon their exclusiveness. Anyone, any fool or idiot can be exclusive. It comes easy. It takes and it signifies a large nature to be universal, to be inclusive. Only the man or woman of a small, personal, self-centered, self-seeking nature is exclusive. The man or woman of a large, royal, unself-centered nature never is. The small nature is the one that continually strives for effect. The large nature never does. The one goes here and there in order to gain recognition. The other stays at home and draws the world to him. The one loves merely himself and the other loves all the world. But in his larger love for all the world, he finds himself included. The sixth factor as to why we've not realized our potential is playing the victim. We play the victim when we blame those around us. Our mother for preferring our sister, our teacher for not encouraging our talents, our boss for not recognizing our brilliance, our politicians for the state of our society, our banks for making us borrow money, advertising for our desires, and television for the level of violence in society. Playing the victim is saying that we are powerless to lead our own lives. And the only way things can improve is if everybody else changes. Being a victim, we are full of fear, and full of fear, we lack trust. And lacking trust, we want prenuptial agreements, security of employment, pension schemes, savings, because we cannot be sure that anybody will care for us when we're old. In the end, we're afraid of ourselves, not only our weaknesses, but also our possibilities. Because of this fear, we may end up settling for security rather than striving to attain our best. We can think ourselves to be so small as not to be able to have any impact. And Anita Roddick of the Body Shop Empire said, If you think you are too small to have an impact, try going to bed with a mosquito in the room.
we can convince ourselves that others have harmed us. We can then justify our harsh treatment of them as their need to be taught a lesson. But it is not our job to be the policeman of the universe. That job belongs to another. We blame our spouses for making us unhappy, our bosses for making us stressful, other drivers for making us angry. And all this blaming is nothing other than excusing ourselves. It is another form of an unwillingness to take responsibility. And another facet of the victim mentality is impossibility thinking. I can't do this or I can't do that. That is impossible. That's too much for me. In the end, there is more impossibility in our lives than there is possibility. Now, that's all the good news in this talk. So I'm going now. (laughs) Well, how may we realize our potential? And again, the first factor is responsibility. Ordinarily, we absorb our environment. For example, we have the accent of those whom we grew up with. In England, this is a tragedy. In Ireland, it's a blessing. (laughs) So choose carefully those whom we surround ourselves with, the books we read, the music we listen to, the television we watch, and the thoughts we entertain. How life turns out is determined by the choices we make, and we must keep choosing how we are going to live. It is not determined by others. We have so many reasons for our failures, but not a single excuse. How we choose on a moment-to-moment basis determines how our life unfolds. The choices we make turn out to be our destiny. So ask yourself, Are you happy with the choices you have made? And do you accept full responsibility for these choices? If we blame others, we deny responsibility. And then we grant a power to people that they do not have. The power to shape our destiny. This acceptance of responsibility does not mean that we beat ourselves to death over mistakes we may have made. It is only a matter of taking back custody of our lives. It is our custodianship. Who else's could it be? And as was just said, accepting responsibility does not result in guilt and regret over all the things we may have done, said or felt. Its result is self-love, where we forgive ourselves. And in forgiving ourselves out of self-love, 
we gain the ability to forgive everybody else. This gets the monkey of our past off our backs and a huge weight is lifted from our shoulders. Being lightened, we bring light to the world. Happiness or misery lies in our own souls. No possessions or other people can fulfill us. It is not their responsibility because we can only fulfill ourselves. Realize that nobody can make us angry. You cannot draw out what is not already within. So people only draw out the anger that is already in us. Now we can make use of our anger. As Carl Jung said, everything that irritates us about others can lead us to an understanding of ourselves. And as one man said, some people have led to a great growth of understanding in me. But interestingly enough, I am not grateful to them. <laughs> it is our responsibility to make the best use of our life. It is not a matter of cherry-picking the best only, but using all of our life. So let everything and everybody be our teacher. If we wish the world to change, we must change. Do this and we accept responsibility for our lives. It's known as growing up. We become leaders by assuming leadership over our lives. We regain power over our lives. And part of responsibility is to set ourselves the highest standards. So what standards have we set ourselves for honesty, forgiveness, resoluteness, friendship, etc., etc.? And are these standards high enough? If we do not know ourselves, then we really know nothing. Our lives will be accidental rather than conscious. And thus there is a need for self-examination. One of our greatest responsibilities is self-examination. To come to know the truth about ourselves, to know and utilize our talents, to discover and dissolve our weaknesses. Until we know ourselves, our potential cannot be realized. We need to look deep within and see those negative traits or limiting ideas which hold us back from realizing our full potential. They need to be discovered and understood by seeing the underlying ideas which cause them to exist. Understanding them, we should dissolve them through reason or practice of their opposite. Practice courage and fear goes. Practice generosity and selfishness goes. Practice equanimity and anger goes. 
The simplest way to dissolve these limitations is to practice their opposite. When we are going to react to an event or another person, we can ask ourselves, can I change the way I feel about this? And then change the feeling and choose the best, most loving response possible in that situation. By changing our behavior, others' behavior will change also. And by moving from habitual reaction to conscious response, others will also do likewise in relation to us. We are responsible for how we are treated. If we have self-respect, we will be given respect. And to be responsible is to be able to respond. We spend so much of our time trying to control. So we plan, manipulate and exploit, but all according to our limited knowledge. There is a far greater intelligence running this universe. So learn to respond to it. Be humble. Let go and discover what the universe has in store for each one of us. The universe's plan for us is much bigger than our plan for ourselves. The universe's plan is greatness for all. And when we do discover the universe's plan for us, we will discover that our life is in fact perfect. It is all unfolding as it was meant to, and all in our best interests. Then all fear goes, all resentment, all sense of injustice, and all regret disappears. The second factor as to how we may realize our potential is to live in the present moment. For those of you who missed that, I'll repeat it. It's to live in the present moment. If we are not in the present moment, we are not turning up for our own lives. It's a party thrown in our honour, we've been invited and we're not turning up. So savour the moment. Forget about outcome living and enjoy now living. When we begin to live in the present moment, we get a shock. We are stunned by how asleep we are, how mechanical life is, how little we truly know how rarely we connect fully with people and events. We cannot believe the level of our incompetence and how we've survived for so long. The future is full of imagined outcomes and potential worries and the present moment is simply full, complete and satisfying. So be available for living be here when life comes to us. The more we live in the present, the more intelligently our minds will operate. 
errors, particularly the mechanical repetition thereof, will fall away. Cause and effect will become obvious, so bad effects can be avoided. The mind will become naturally creative in the present moment, and we become masters of our lives. In the present moment, we are not tied to our plans. We live in the light of true uncertainty. And this is an absolute delight, to live in true uncertainty. True uncertainty is not full of fear, but full of openness, allowing all possibilities free of the need to fix everything in advance. Life cannot be particularly interesting if it's known in advance. Try going to an excellent thriller film a second time. It's just not as interesting. The truth is, we do not know what is best for us. Can we say with total certainty that we would be happier or sadder if we were richer or poorer, if we die today or live till our 80s, if we change job, spouse or house? Why not let God, our universal intelligence, run our lives? It might make a better job of them. Particularly, be in the present moment for the ordinary activities of life. So taste our food. Feel the feet on the ground as we walk and hear the sounds in the air. Notice the blueness in the sky, the amazing shapes and colours of the clouds and watch the leaves change colour with the seasons. Be mindful of the breath as it passes in and out of the body. All this stills the mind and in that stillness life becomes simple, fun, peaceful, open and happy. And the third factor as to how we may realize our potential is to care for ourselves. What is important is to rekindle that passion we once had for our lives, begin to do again what fills our heart with simple happiness, learn to laugh out loudly again, be moved again, bring tears to your eyes. To be fully satisfied, we need to satisfy the spirit within. And this is not done by food or activity or thought or relationship. It is done by going within. And the greatest and simplest way to go within, deep within, is to meditate. Every human being should meditate. For our lives to be great, our faith must be larger than our fears. 
And this faith is faith in oneself. That is self-confidence. Confidence that life has a larger purpose for us. Then doors will open for us where we never imagined them to be. Become more courageous with our lives. Be divinely reckless with our love. Be spontaneous. So again ask yourself, is your life lived courageously? With divine recklessness and full of spontaneity. Stop living in our heads so much. People want to know where hell is. It's in your head. If you invited anybody to live in your head, nobody would take up the invitation. <laughs> live more from our hearts and let our hearts guide us. Trust this intuitive knowledge which the mind cannot comprehend. Welcome the unexpected. Feel our lives, not think about them. Find the goodness in everybody and stop judging others. It is no talent to be able to see the weakness in others. If we continually see the faults of others, we will be plagued by seeing the faults in ourselves and always think what we can do and not what we cannot do. There is no point in being busy doing the wrong things. In the end, some of us do not know what it is that we are doing that has us so busy. If we want to be more happy, then we should do more of the things that make us most happy. Go with your bliss. So draw up a list of the ten things we most like to do. The things we may have abandoned because of the children or because we're too tired or which we have postponed until we are less busy or tired. And then determine to do them and reintroduce them into our lives. The secret of passion is purpose. Find a cause larger than ourselves and then give ourselves to it. Coretta Scott King said, When you are willing to make sacrifices for a greater cause, you will never be alone. So do not think that your life has no meaning. It is dedication to a higher cause that gives your life meaning. Find that cause and serve it. If we do this, we will live on in the minds and hearts of future generations and this is how to cheat death. Life is one of reciprocity. If we want thanks for what we do, 
Give thanks to others for what they do. Give that which we most want, and according to Jesus, it is returned one hundredfold. There is no greater return on investment available in the world today or ever. Self-love is manifested in self-care. And life should be moved from one of complexity to one of simplicity. Take a look at the life as it has been led now and ask the question, how can I make my life simpler? And then make it simpler. Whatever we appreciate grows. If our house appreciates, it grows in value. If we appreciate ourselves, we grow. So appreciate ourselves. Appreciate our friends. Appreciate our health. Appreciate that which is good. And then all these things will appreciate in our lives. The most effective way to appreciate anything is to be grateful for it. So feel gratitude and express gratitude for all that comes into our lives. The fourth factor as to how we may realize our potential is to love ourselves. So drop all conditionality. Let our love be unconditional. Let our happiness be unconditional. With freedom from conditions or demands, these things will naturally flow to us. Don't fight the world. Unite with it. Go with the flow. Stop struggling and striving, accumulating and scheming, and just learn to be. Accept yourself as you are now, The human being is both lovable and capable. You are lovable and capable. Accept this. And with acceptance, life becomes fun again. We start to laugh on the inside. And there's an inner smile all the time, no matter what life presents. Our eyes will begin to shine again with that twinkle we had when we were children. Then we will never grow old. The passion of living for living will return and our hearts will sing. So again you may ask yourselves, when is the last time your heart sang and for how long? There is an inner voice that speaks to us. It is the voice of our hearts. It knows where we came from and it knows the purpose of our lives. It knows where we're going and it knows where our happiness lies. And we should listen to it. 
it only whispers. So we need to be silent and still within to hear its gentle promptings. That whispering of this silent, still voice is our calling and we are all called to greatness. But only some of us answer. Stop criticizing ourselves. Everybody makes mistakes. The ignorant repeat them, whereas the intelligent use them. If we learn from the past, then it stops limiting us and just serves us. Repeating mistakes simply indicates lack of self-awareness. One of the greatest acts of self-love is to realize that we don't need more. That there is no greater happiness in more. Then we relax and begin to fully enjoy what we have. And then we need the least as opposed to continually striving to have the most. When we love ourselves, we will live without regrets. We will take more chances. We will love more recklessly. That is, we will love more fully and more people. Then we will live with true passion. As said before, get out of our heads and live in our hearts. Heads are so cautious, always planning, always trying to figure things out, analysing what could be, saying that we cannot act until we understand. So live in your heart more. This is where courage is. Then we will stop playing it safe. Then we will not be sad at the risks we did not take and the opportunities we did not grasp. Fifthly, with regard to realizing our potential, we should have the highest standards. Even if our lives are full of small acts, they can be great lives. Mother Teresa said, There are no great acts, only small acts done with great love. Adopting the highest standards in simple things can transform the ordinary life. Things such as good manners, punctuality, keeping your word, etc. These are all within our grasp. All that is necessary is to decide on the highest standards and we are already an exceptional person. The decision is ours. This is a self-contract which we make with ourselves for living our life. It highlights our personal accountability and ensures commitment to its fulfilment. Without a self-contract, daily practice and regular measurement, the noble goals of our youth will all fade away. Benjamin Franklin promised to conduct his life according to 13 virtues. 
For a long time, each day, he would retire to a quiet place and measure how he had lived up to these. And this allowed him to build a great life. We should pick the highest ideals for ourselves to live by. Determine how we wish to live our lives. And it is by having the highest ideals that we truly care for ourselves. So do not feed ourselves with mediocrity if we wish to realize our potential. If we want to write out a life plan, set down the goals in all the most important areas of life and how they are to be achieved. Look into our hearts and see what are the fundamental desires that we wish to satisfy that if satisfied, we would die knowing we had lived well and true to ourselves. Most importantly, set down the type of man or woman that we want to be, the values we wish to live by, and how we wish to be remembered. In setting our goals, do not have too many and too diverse goals. As Confucius said, person who chases two rabbits catches neither. So set out five noble goals for your life. Goals we would be proud to say that we had dedicated our lives to. So I wrote out five that we could choose. Firstly, I will serve truth or God with all my heart, energy, and intelligence. Secondly, I will enrich the lives of all those I interact with. Thirdly, I will use all my wealth so as to minimize the suffering of others. Fourthly, I will help all those who seek help from me to the limit of my capacity. And fifthly, I will not entertain misery, doubt, or greed in my life. Then each morning, remind ourselves of these goals and resolve that the day will be dedicated to the fulfillment of them. And at the end of each day, briefly review in what way they were attained. Helen Keller said, the most pathetic person in the world is someone who has sight but no vision. To create a personal vision for one's life, it is important to focus on our highest priorities. Otherwise, life will be absorbed in all that is of no consequence. When we discover the vocation of our lives, then nothing can prevent us from achieving it. Adversity strengthens us. Problems are seen merely as challenges. Faith, determination and enthusiasm carry us to our goal. As Leonardo da Vinci said, if you fix your course upon a star, you will be able to navigate any storm. Grow each day. Albert Einstein said, the level of thinking that got you to where you now are 
will not get you to where you dream of being. When we find our calling, we will no longer dedicate ourselves to earning money, achieving fame, or having power. The best part of ourselves will reveal itself, and it will be perfectly happy, perfectly satisfied then we will start to feel fulfilled that our lives do have meaning. And when you discover that your life has meaning, this is when greatness visits your life. Now to conclude, Benjamin Disraeli said that life is too short to be little. Do not die with the music still inside of you. Within every single person, there is more power than we could ever dream of. St. Catherine of Siena said, If you were the person you were meant to be, you would set the world on fire. Isn't that fantastic? If you were the person you were meant to be, you would set the world on fire. So are you setting the world on fire? Everybody knows that they have greatness within them, waiting to unfold. And the need is to awaken this giant within us and live the life for which we have come into this world. Tolstoy said, You have to embrace what the wisdom of humanity, your intellect and your heart tell you. That the meaning of life is to serve the force that sent you into the world. Then life becomes a joy. As Mark Twain said, live out your life in such a way that even the undertaker cries at your funeral. Realizing your potential is not becoming better than you are, but being who you are and not less than who you are. And who are you? You are consciousness, knowledge and bliss. You are pure, perfect and complete. You are self-reliant independent, ever at peace, without fear, full of wisdom, eternal and free. This is who you are. And all that is required is to realize it. That is to make it real in experience in everyday living. Each one of us has been given a heart with the capacity to love the whole universe. So love all without exception. There is no limit to what any of us may understand. So understand the all. Understanding the all does not mean understanding everything. It means understand the source from which everything arises. And then all is understood. 
then we will live every day with a sense of awe and wonder. It will all be magic and we will live in the mystery of life rather than our accumulated frozen knowledge of the past. To love all and to understand all is to realize our potential. Nobody can stop us realizing our potential. We can only stop ourselves. Deep within us, every one of us already knows what it is to live fully, lovingly, with true purpose and significance. So we do know how to close our integrity gap. We know how to embrace greatness. Fulfillment is not a place that we arrive at at the end of a long journey. It is a state of the heart that we create now and live in forever. If we do this, then at the end of our lives, we will be able to ask ourselves with confidence, did I live fully and wisely? Did I love with all my heart? Did I serve greatly? And did I come to know who I am in truth? And answering yes to all these questions, you will have realized your potential. So may you all realize your potential. Thank you. So what would you like to ask? I'd just like to ask how are you supposed to realize what your potential is? If you're supposed to be trying to reach your potential, how do you know if you have reached it or how far you can go to reach it, if you can understand my question? All right. Well, the first thing is you can go all the way. So it's not a matter of partially realizing your potential. You go all the way. And when you go all the way, you know you've gone all the way because there's total and complete satisfaction. You're now totally satisfied in yourself, not dependent on anybody or anything. One way of looking at it is, you were designed for perfect happiness. And you spend most of your life in some other emotion. But you were designed for perfect happiness. And when you realize your potential, you realize that happiness. You enjoy it all the time. And then nothing can take it away from you. Adversity doesn't take it away and good fortune doesn't increase it because it's just limitless. It's like a child loving its mother. It just can't love it anymore. It's just full and total and complete love. So, you have to realize your full potential. If you don't, you will always be left with that dissatisfaction. And it's not like choosing between two things. You know, sometimes, well, it's in my experience, say I go into a clothing shop and I say, you know, I'm looking for a suit. And the guy shows me a a pale grey suit or something like that. And then he shows me a 
a navy blue suit. I was only going in for one suit. But now I see two excellent suits as far as I'm concerned. And I want both of them. But I, anyway, I restrain myself and I say, look, I go for the blue. The blue looks best on me. For the next six months, I keep on seeing these fantastic light grey suits on people. You know, and the blue makes me look fatter and all right. So, it's not like that. It's not like that. You've found it. You've just found it and you're not looking around anymore. You're exactly where you should be and you know it. When you do find it, and let's say you live your life according to your true potential, then if somebody said to you, well, you can live it again, you wouldn't change it at all. It's just excellent. Does that answer it in a way? Yeah, very good. Okay. Good evening, Shane. Uh, Having found your potential, does it change? Does it move on? Well... Your potential is limitless. That's the important thing. It's not a fixed point. So it's not like getting 100% in your exam and you can't get any more. So it's not like that. Your potential is limitless. So when you find, let's say, true love, which is your potential to find true love, then there is no end to the ways you can express it. It's an ever-unfolding potential. It's always full and complete, but it's ever unfolding. It's like being in love with your wife. It changes over the years. It doesn't necessarily get better. It doesn't necessarily get worse, because it's always full. But it changes. Its forms, its expressions change. Let's say part of my potential, this is not true now, by the way, but part of my potential was to be a great rugby player. All right? Well, then... How that would be expressed under the age of 30 is in actually playing rugby. After about 35, it might be in training younger people to be great rugby players. And when I'm about 60, it's sitting on the couch watching other people playing fantastic rugby. So how it's expressed will change with time and circumstance. Having reached your full potential, would you ever doubt that you are still within your full potential? No, this is the end of all doubt. Things like doubt, fear, regret, guilt, they're now things of the past. You're just living in love and understanding. Which is pretty good, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I've told this story before. My eldest daughter, who's married, when she got to boyfriend stage of her life, about two and a half, I think she was. Anyway, <laughs> when she got to the boyfriend stage of her life, she went out with a number of boys, or men, as they call themselves, and she, she, she announced to me on a couple of occasions that she loved them. You see? Oh, I, I love this, you know, horrible creature. <laughs> and, uh, so, so, I always knew it was never going to last. Never, ever. So I'd say, you can forget it, this is not going to last. All right? And then one day, she said to me, I have found the man that I love and I'm going to marry. And I knew that it was true. And how I knew was the looking or the searching had gone out of her eyes. Her eyes were totally at rest. 
She wasn't searching anymore. That's what happens when you find your potential. You're not searching. You're resting in your completeness. But ever expressing it in new and varied ways. Is that okay? Yeah. Yes. Hi, Shane. I've decided to set my goal to be the first one on your list, which was, I think, to serve God and hopefully humanity to the fullest of my abilities. But there's so many theories and beliefs about how to do this the right way. How do I know one isn't true and another is false? Yes, well, that's going to be very challenging. Well, I'll tell you one that satisfies me, right? And then you can see whether it satisfies you. There are people who believe in God and they want to serve God, but they don't know what God wants from them. So they don't know, well, what should I be doing? Should I be watching rugby or should I be giving out soup to the poor or whatever it is? Or should I go into politics or something appalling like that? The Shankaracharya, the man that the school of philosophy put all its questions to, he said the will of the absolute or the will of God is as follows. Knowledge for all. Freedom for all. Prosperity for all. And I think it's peace for all. So that is the will or desire of the Absolute or God. And that's a way of looking at it. So in every thought, word and deed, you seek that others will gain knowledge from your thoughts, words and deeds. They will gain peace. They will gain prosperity. And they will gain freedom. That's a way of fulfilling that first goal. Rather than you sitting and sort of trying to imagine a human type God, you know, with very large blue eyes, which are very kindly looking, and trying to imagine, well, what does he want from me? That's like trying to wonder what your wife wants from you, and you never get the answer, right? It's a matter of what would the source of all wisdom want? And the source of all wisdom would want peace, freedom, prosperity and knowledge for all. You should live your life in such a way that it maximizes that or makes that available to as many people as you can. D- does that help? Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, okay. Then the gentleman beside him. Thanks for a very nice lecture, Mr. Mulhall. Good to see you. I just wanted to ask you if you'd like to comment on the signposts that might be there within your life to help you to realize or understand your own destiny. I find that it's a very cloudy crystal ball at most, and I uh, just wondered if you'd That's because like you're shaking it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> that must be a meaning to my life. <laughs> probably close to the truth there. Yeah. Well, the signposts are what you light up and again if I use my own children as an example I love the power of speech I just think it is an absolute blessing for a human being to have a great power of speech so I loved Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr and John F. Kennedy's capacity for speech all of that and I also grew up terrified of speaking so I decided well I'm not going to let my children go through that So I used to praise all these great speakers and I have CDs and DVDs of the great speakers and I would play them at home to the four children. 
And I'd say, now just listen to Martin Luther King Jr. This man changed my life. So the four of them listened. But only one of them really lit up. It happened to be my son. And you know, you'd go upstairs and you'd hear him doing the I have a dream speech to a mirror in his bedroom with a very sort of Dublin Negro voice. Right? <laughs> now, they were all presented with the same possibilities. But he lit up for it. So, let's say you had a child and you were trying to help them realise their potential. What you do is you present as much in front of them and then watch that which they're naturally attracted to and that which they light up for. That guides you. Because that which you light up for is where your talents and interests and strengths lie. So, and and I've said this before, if there's a game of rugby on, I light up. If there's a game of cricket on, I become a property developer of that space that they're playing the game on. (laughs) I think apartment blocks would be more useful to mankind than that particular game. So there are certain things that I light up for. There are certain things that satisfy. So you look for that. And you learn. You learn. Like When I was young, I thought like lots of money was definitely going to make me happy. More money did arise. But not the happiness. And so you need to learn from that. And you don't have to wait till you're 65 and say, gosh, now I realize happiness doesn't lie in the amount of money I have. One can prove that one very, very quickly. You know, you could be 21 or 22 and realize that actually more of the same doesn't necessarily lead to greater happiness. It just leads to boredom or excess or something like that. Anyway, the fundamental thing is you look to that which you are naturally drawn to. Naturally drawn to. So you go with the flow of your own nature. It's a very interesting thing, this, that very few of us understand our own minds and hearts. We're sort of plagued by them. We have minds we can't stop thinking about various things. Our hearts which are always angry or something like that. The real person to study in life is you. You get to understand you. What delights you. And what are the limitations. And attempt to transcend them. Dissolve them. If you do that, what you'll find, you're actually being guided all the time to fulfill your potential. Things are put in front of you. Now, your heart needs to be open and your mind needs to be still. Because if your mind is elsewhere, you miss the things that are presented to you. And if your heart is closed by prejudice or something like that, you don't respond. So you never get to experience things that are put in front of you. But if your heart is open and uh, your mind is still, then you will find a full and natural response to that which is in front of you. And that will guide you all the way. And it won't be where you think you ought to be. Does that make sense? There's another thing which the Shankaracharya said is, we all get a glimpse of this, by the way. We all get a glimpse of this when we're young. We get a glimpse of what we're meant to be doing. And for a number of people, it's so big, it's frightening. We're afraid of the size of our lives, of what it would mean. And we turn our back on it. You have to live recklessly. The phrase from the Shankaracharya is divine recklessness, which is different than 
driving with, without their, your lights on at about 90 miles per hour and 16 pints inside of you. That's not divine recklessness. It's another form of recklessness. But divine recklessness is fantastic. Where you have no fears. Where you're not concerned about the opinions of others. Where you haven't adopted the standards of society. They're your own standards. You're true to yourself. And when you're true to yourself, then you really can be divinely reckless. Then you will find it. Just say this. It makes no difference, ultimately, when you find it. So if you find it with your dying breath, you will die fulfilled. That's the way it works. You know the story of the, the vineyard in the Bible and somebody comes along at nine o'clock and he works all day. Another guy comes along at twelve o'clock and another guy comes along at three o'clock and they say another guy comes along at five to six. And the vineyard owner pays them all the same. And we think this is very unfair. Gee whiz, why would you turn up at nine o'clock? You know, I'd like to be squeezing in at five to six. But what it's really saying is that when you discover the truth about yourself or realise your potential, you get the same reward. And the reward is perfect fulfilment. So never think, well, oh, I've, I've blown it to date or something like that. Just find it before the last breath. Okay. The gentleman again. I'd just like to make a point about divine recklessness. I found it, and it can be dangerous. This is a bit embarrassing for me to talk about, uh, but it can be deemed insane and locked up for it. Yes. The important thing is not to be concerned about the opinions of others. This is one of the most stunting things in the world, to be concerned how others see you. You know the way a child dances? You know the way it goes berserk all over the place? And you get older, you think, well, I'll have to learn the steps. (laughs) And it becomes more and more cautious. And we become cautious with everything, with our love. Again, when you come home in the evening and a child comes running at you and, you know, puts his arms around you, squeezes your neck and says, I love you trillions. And, you know, when you're married a few years and you're coming home and that thought flashes through your mind, you say, God, she'd think I'm an idiot if I say that. No, I won't say that. And anyway, the last dinner she cooked me wasn't that great. So, you know, <laughs> and there, there are a few unresolved issues. And you end up with, of course I care for you, dear. It's all so cautious. Why wouldn't you tell your wife, you fill my heart? Why wouldn't you say that? Why wouldn't you just use uncautious words? This is what children do. This is why they melt our hearts. This is why we end up preferring them than the spouse. (laughs) You've got this cautious twit who doesn't like the food you cook. And you've this other thing that loves you trillions. I know which one I'd go for. (laughs) Yes, anybody else? One question is, if you don't care what people think, you could be quickly isolated and rejected and cause difficulties. Yes. For example, you know, if you're in a situation at work and you're different, you're too different, 
you could find that your colleagues would isolate you. You know, you'd have difficulties. And that's the reality. You know, you, you'd be careful. I think most people would be careful to survive. Well, happen. we're not trying to survive. We're trying to live. Yes, even to live. To live normally. No, no, but we're not trying to survive. We're trying to live. Yeah, but to live in a workplace. Yes, absolutely. Be careful what the other people think of them in order to, uh, to interact. No, the way you should be different from your workmates is you should love unconditionally. You should seek to serve the person in front of you without any restriction. If you do that, you'll be loved. There's nothing wrong with being different. You are different, by the way. If we'd all put you into, say, the, the Lansdowne Stadium when you were babies and we asked your mothers to go and collect you, they would have come home with the right baby. Because you're all absolutely different. So you have uniqueness. Now why are you not demonstrating it? This is the magnificence. There you have the human being, which is a single concept. It's a single concept, a human being. It's like a car is a single concept. But a human being is a single concept. And currently there are six billion of them on this earth. And every one of them is different. Now that shows you the magnificence of the design. It's not like status quo hits which all sound the same after a while. Every human being is absolutely unique and every human being contributes. The world is a poorer place without you. That's the truth of the matter. You enrich the world and enrich it with what you specifically have to offer. And I've used this story before but again it's very important. It's a, a version of the savannah story. There's this valley, and the valley's empty. What happens is a settler comes along in his wagon with his wife and, let's say, four children, and they come into the valley, and this settler was a farmer where he originally used to live. So what he does is he sees this fantastic land, he says, we're going to settle here now. Because he's not a builder, the house he builds is very, very crude. So there's leaks everywhere and the jacuzzi, you wouldn't invite anybody into the jacuzzi. It's an appalling thing. But he can grow food for thousands. He's such an excellent farmer and the land is perfect. After a while, another wagon comes over the hills into the valley and this guy was a house builder. He's from Roscommon, in fact, right? (laughs) He's a house builder. Now, what he says is, I can't grow food, but what I will do is I will build houses for everybody in the valley. Now what happens is, we now have two families living in absolutely, stunningly good duplexes, or whatever, and they are fed magnificently from the produce of the one farmer. The next guy that comes over the hill used to be a fashion designer with Ralph Lauren, and now they dress magnificently, even for evening dinner. The three of them have fantastic houses, and they eat magnificently. The fourth one over the hill is a doctor and now the health of everybody in the valley is uplifted. They all have great houses, they all have great food and they all have great clothes. Each one, by contributing what their talents are, uplifts everybody. This is what life is all about. What are you going to contribute? Now what you're going to contribute is your potential and each one of you has a unique potential a unique potential which can enrich the lives of everybody that comes your way.
And that's a fantastic thing to do, to make this world richer by your very existence. And for that, you're going to have to be different. Different from everybody else. But you're not different in the sense that you're divisive or you impede other people's happiness. So it's not a matter of, well, in the workplace, I'm going to bring in my ghetto blaster at 9 million decibel level and impede the joyous living of others. But you remain absolutely true to yourself and you give the surplus of your uniqueness for the benefit of others. So the farmer, when he grows the food, does feed his own family, but he also feeds all other family. And the doctor does keep his own family healthy, or attempts to, but he also keeps all the families healthy. This is what life is all about. This creation is one of interdependence. There is no independence in this creation. None at all. Life would be appalling if you were on your own. You'd have to do your own heart operations, and it's hard to survive that. (laughs) But with interdependence, then what you get is harmony, and teamwork, and uplifting, and, as I said, enrichment by everybody. You've got to decide. It's a very simple question, by the way, but everybody has to decide this. For whose sake am I going to live? And that's a moment-by-moment decision. For whose sake am I going to live? And it can be for me, or it can be for me and mine, i.e. wife, children, uncle and auntie and a few, the dog and the budgerigar, things like that. Or you can decide to live for all. If you want to realise your potential, if you want to realise your greatness, then you have to live for all. It can't be done by just selecting a few people that I'm going to live for. Nobody can be excluded. So, that's the way it works. Yes, anybody else? Hi, thanks, Mr. Mulhall, for a great talk. My question is about the surprise element to fulfilling your potential. So, say for me, I always felt kind of I was suited to the caring profession and that's yes. the profession I'm in. And it seems like all paths have led to here and I'm yeah. quite fulfilled, but... I'm wondering about the surprise part of it. Do you know, is there necessarily a surprise or perhaps, you know, you end up doing what you should have done all along and you're not necessarily surprised about it? In a way, it won't be surprising what you do because it'll fit so naturally. But how you express it, you will not know. So the form it takes, you won't know. But let's say your potential or your destiny was to be in the caring profession it will just feel so natural that you won't be in a state of yippee-yay and yo-ho-ho. It'll just feel very quiet. This feels right. Okay? That's fine. But how it expresses itself will be ever-changing. You see, what we tend to do is we tend to make decisions and then feel obliged to live by them. So if somebody decides to be an engineer at age 25 and you ask them at 45, why are you an engineer? And he says to you, because I decided to at 25. Now you should decide every day to be an engineer. And if you can't get the words yes out of your lips, you shouldn't be an engineer that day. So it's a living. You've got to live your life every day. People say, I have to go into work and I have to do this. And I, If only I hadn't to do all these things, then I would do ABC. 
This is all baloney. You don't have to do anything. You're free. You were born free and you're meant to stay free. Uh, the fact that you decide every day to continue expressing yourself as a care, that's absolutely fine. But it needs to be made today. Not something you decided 20 years ago and you're still sticking with it. Does that make sense? Yeah. In answer to your first question, you said that we have been designed to be happy. Yes. The words for perfect happiness. For perfect happiness. Yes. The word "design" sounds yeah. that we're fit for purpose and for the intended purpose. Yes. So why do we strive so hard if we are designed for yes. perfect happiness to actually be happy? Yes. Well, basically because of ignorance. It's like. Well, I have to go back a few years. I give you a Ferrari and I give Michael Schumacher a Ferrari. And they're equal Ferraris. He will go around the racetrack faster than you. (laughs) (laughs) I have seen Michael Schumacher and I'm confident in what I'm saying. (laughs) In fact, if you can, then I can sell you to Ferrari for about 30 million per annum. Yeah, exactly. Now, so we are all designed, but it requires the correct usage of what we have. Now, due to ignorance, and it's not particularly useful to say, well, how did all this start? But due to ignorance, we begin to misuse our minds and hearts. I just give you a very simple thing. When a child gets, let's say, a Lego set or something like that, both the construction and the destruction are equally pleasing. Is that okay? So making the little filling station or whatever it is, is delightful. And then ripping it all apart is equally delightful. Is that okay? Now, the child doesn't become attached to the form. In fact, when it makes something, it then liberates it from that particular form so it can adopt another form. As it grows older, It seeks to preserve that which it has liked. And when it's very old, it starts taking videos and photographs to keep everything frozen and so-called current. So we move from being happy to trying to preserve the means of happiness. Does that make sense? What happens is we're no longer happy to be brought to the beach, we want to stay there. So the child moves from being happy, as I said, to trying to preserve the means of what it considers to be the means of happiness. This leads to then hoarding and fear and millions of things. And in that, the child actually forgets that he is happy and simply expresses his happiness in everything and now begins to think that Lego makes me happy. The truth of the matter is the child is happy and Lego is a way of expressing your happiness. But it's not a source of happiness. When you become miserable, as we all do, we then begin to look for things that will make me happy. And the truth of the matter is that nothing will make you happy. Lego doesn't make you happy. Nor Ferraris, nor anything. Husbands don't make you happy, nor wives, nor children. Nothing can make you happy because you are happy. 
but you're no longer living it. It's like having wealth, but you've now become a miser. You won't spend it. You won't spend the wealth you have. So most of us are miserly with our happiness, and that's why we're miserable. Because we're miserly. And that's a very important thing. The word miserly and miserable are obviously come from the same root. And a miser is somebody who has wealth, but won't spend it. And a miserable person is somebody who has happiness, but won't let it flow. They're not devoid of happiness, they have it. Which is very significant. Forgetting that we are happiness, we go for in search of it outside, outside of ourselves. And we then begin to think we're incomplete human beings. And being incomplete, well, maybe a partner would round me off. So we go looking for somebody. And basically their job is to be a performing flea and make me happy. And basically they don't perform properly. They could try harder, as your headmaster used to say, right? <laughs> so that's it. The interesting thing is you didn't come into this world to be a performing flea. That's why nobody wants to be one. But if you find happiness, if you find your own happiness, then a remarkable thing happens is you want to give it to everybody. You want everybody to feel as you feel. So you want to share it. I think it's a beautiful point. Everything in this creation is limited. So if you've got a hundred euro in your pocket and you give me five euro, you've got ninety-five. So in the giving away, you've got less. Is that okay? But there's two aspects to your existence which defy this law. And the reason is because they're not of this creation. They're not of this creation because they're before it. And one of them is love. So you never run out of love by giving. The more love you give to others, the more you have. It is a limitless aspect of your being. It shows that it's your very nature to love. And the second one is knowledge. The more knowledge you give, the more you have. So man is both wise and loving. That's how he's designed. To be full of wisdom and full of love. Yes. You suggested earlier that we cannot find within ourselves the universe has taken our potential. In other words, the universe has a difference taken our potential to ourselves and we cannot find it within ourselves. Can you explain that? I think we can find our potential by looking inside, inside ourselves. We cannot find our potential? You said that we cannot see our own potential inside ourselves, that the universe can see our potential, but we cannot. Can well, I hope that? I didn't say that. Well, you... Hmm. Well, if I did... I misread you then. Well, I'll edit it out of the recording. (laughs) (laughs) What what I think I said, now it may not be, and you can correct me if, if, if it's wrong, what I think I said is that the universe's plan for us is much, much, much bigger than our own plan for ourselves. So discover the universe's plan for us. Now, that is absolutely right. The reason why your plan is not the true plan, is because it's prejudice. It's based on all sorts of limiting ideas. Am I not part of that universe? Yes, but the universe is not limited. 
And can I not tap into the knowledge of that universe by Absol- looking oh, absolutely. inside? But you'll have to drop your limited ideas. Okay. When you drop the limited ideas, then, as I said, as an individual, you find out the universe's plan for you. There was a man who came to me once, and he's always been troubled by what he should do with his life. And I said to him, I want you to imagine that you're God. Now, I call this guy Fred, for his sake. So, we call him Fred. And I said to Fred, I want you to imagine that you're God. And that you've invented or created this guy called Fred. With the view of making this creation a blissful, happy, free, peaceful, wise place. What will you use Fred for in order to achieve your plan? And that was very useful to him at that point in time. Because when he was thinking of himself, he was always thinking, well, I don't want to do that because I don't really like that and I'm not sure I'm good enough for this. There was too many ideas clouding him. But if he could imagine himself as a sort of a master of the universe, it became pretty obvious how he would utilise Fred, i.e. himself, for the happiness of Fred and for the happiness of all. So it's in that sense. The only reason we can't do it is because, sorry, ordinarily we can't do it, is because of the limiting ideas. For example, we have a tremendously false sense of security. So people think that savings give you security. That's rubbish. You know, all sorts of things. I remember in the 70s going to Budapest, which is a beautiful, beautiful city. It was effectively the centre of an empire at one stage. And these magnificent houses, which are obviously owned by very, very, very wealthy traders and merchants in the past, they never saw the communists coming. If they thought, gee, if I build this thing, communists could come and take it all away. When I went to Budapest in the 70s, there was 40 families living in these houses. They've been turned into little apartments. They thought they had security. That's why they built it. It's not like that. We think that people will not starve to death in Ireland ever again. We think, well, no famine, sorry, that happened 150 years ago. We think all sorts of things. The population of Europe has been wiped out by a third or a quarter so many times. We think, oh, that wouldn't happen now with all the, the medicine we have. It's just not true. There is no security in this creation. Security is in yourself. When you know who you are, then you know that nothing can harm you. That you're beyond death. That you're beyond everything. That you'll never die. The body will undoubtedly fall off. And by the time it's about 80, you'd be glad that it does fall <laughs> off. You know, Instead of dragging it around for a few more years. Be like getting rid of the old banger. <laughs> Very pleased to get rid of it. But you know that you cannot die. And then as I said, then you're free. Then you live in this creation and it has its ups and downs and there's wins and losses and good and bad and all that sort of stuff. You're just flowing through it. So, this lady here. Can I ask you, are you achieving your potential? The fact that you have to ask that question (laughs) (laughs) 
achieving it, I'm happy to say yes. Achieved, I'm happy to say no. In fact, I'm very unhappy to say no. So, is it being realized? I would say the answer is yes. And if you say, how would I say that? Because life feels more and more natural. And there's more and more happiness, more and more love. And there's more and more peace and all these wonderful things. If one evaluated it over any reasonable length of time, let's say three months or six months or nine months or a year, and with as an objective an eye as possible to say that there is unfoldment of being. That this is a better man today than it was a year ago or a year previously or whatever. I have just come back from India. I was extremely fortunate to meet the current Shankaracharya. The Shankaracharya is a position held by a sage. And I was very fortunate to spend some time with this man. Now, this is an imperfect eye, but if I am to judge with an imperfect eye, I met a man who had realized his potential, who was totally complete in himself, and who was simply living it. So it is possible. These great sages, what they do is they give a system so that all may realize. Realizing your potential is not for a few. Like you were designed to realize your potential in a unique way for you. And the lady beside you was also designed. We're all being designed to realize our potential. Few may choose to do so, but we have been designed to. And these great sages, whether it comes from whatever system, whether it's a religious system or a philosophical system, design means to realize and what you need to do is you need to find a system a system which will take you all the way and there are different systems for different temperaments but that's what you need to do you need to find a system and when you find that system and it suits your temperament then you give your life to it and then it is a bit like being a child you wake up every morning full of zest And it's such an adventure because you don't know what's going to happen. And you don't know what you're going to face. And there's all sorts of apparent progress and apparent regress. You think you're over, you know, I rarely get irritated anymore. Then Ireland lose 7-0 to Andorra or something like this. And you think, oh God, I can't go on. So it's fantastic. Because you've seen yourself, you've seen your nature. Again, I just say this, I was in the presence of the Shankaracharya. What there is, is there's this remarkable human being, completely and totally detached. And there's nothing going on inside of him. And I mean nothing. He is just at rest with himself. Anyway, there's a young Ashramite sitting at his feet. And he has a mobile phone. And this mobile phone is on. And we're having a meeting with the Shankaracharya and the phone starts to ring. And the young man answers it. And then stops. And then a couple of minutes later there's another thing and he's texting back an answer or something like this, you see? And the Shankaracharya looks at him and he just goes like that. Now, what struck me about that was all that was happening in the Shankaracharya was a hand movement. 
And I was trying to imagine when I'm taking a meeting, say in Townley Hall in the School of Philosophy, and phones go off. There's an awful lot going on inside of me. <laughs> and it's, it's not confined to a single hand movement. <laughs> and what was very obvious is that he is not affected. He's just not affected. It's just magnificent. Again, I don't know if you've ever seen this, and you wouldn't let it go on too long now, but Say a child is lying in the pram. Have you ever seen a child lying in the pram and it starts to rain on the child? And the child's got its eyes open. Do you ever see that? Uh, you know, and it goes like this. <laughs> Have you ever seen that? It's so fantastic. Because there's, there's nothing else going on inside of the child. Whereas if it's raining, we're like this. But he's just... And then if it stops raining, they stop blinking. Now, it's such a perfect way to live because what this means, if you're like that, you go through life unmarked, unharmed in any way. And that is fantastic to live your life so that you're unharmed by it. You have that same purity that same openness, that same interest in everything, on the day you die is the day you were born. <laughs> <laughs> yep.